Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. Nerdapalooza, the world's largest nerd music festival, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other fine Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Hi, this is Michael Brass. I'm a composer who's worked on Oddworld Games and Ratchet and & Clank, and you are listening to Nerdy Show. Welcome to Nerdy Show, your weekly journey into every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. I'm Cap, and this is part two of a very special two-part episode of Nerdy Show. In part one, we delivered our spoiler-free Bioshock review, as well as played the first half of our interview with Jeremy Soule, amazing video game composer for games such as Skyrim, Guild Wars 2, and Secret of Evermore. Now, join myself, Doug, Tony, and Brandon for the second half of our interview with Jeremy Soule, followed by our spoilerific review of Bioshock. But don't worry, we'll tell you when the spoilers are going to start. But after that, all bets are off. Now, Jeremy, you've got a lot of self-motivation. Maybe it's the way you were raised or something, but like we, like we said much earlier, at, at 19, you ended up getting a job at Squaresoft. Mm-hmm. You said, mm-hmm. I want to make video game music better, and you did. And that whole experience sounds absolutely crazy to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I I was wondering if you could uh, tell us about that experience, like basically um, how you even got hooked up with Square in the first place at nineteen to work on one of their major titles. You, you know, you mentioned possibly being in the band or whatever. Were you like the band geek who was like, I want to compose someday, and everyone's like, No, kid. And then it's an awesome <laughs> inspirational story about overcoming that. He's like, Look at me now. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, maybe we'll do the unofficial biography and we'll we'll make fun of everyone that ever said I couldn't do it. um, You know, it's funny. I mean, people would be really surprised to know this, but I think it was like in 90 or 91, uh, an artist came out, who we all know, his name's Seal. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Seal, his his single came out and it was called Crazy. And there was a message in that song that said, we're never going to survive unless we get a little crazy. And I loved that album. I mean, I studied it and you know a lot of people say well aren't you out there studying beethoven and mozart no not all the time and trevor horn man one of the greatest producers of all time he is he's really amazing and so i was listening to art and noise and brian eno at that time was a huge influence and so i almost felt like i did have to be a little crazy to get out of where i was i grew up in a small small little town we didn't have an orchestra anywhere nearby i mean it was really difficult to you know to witness uh professional orchestra like the uh, Chicago Symphony or St. Louis Symphony. It was just a lot of traveling. But, you know, I, I think that part of me will always be in my hometown. And I, I, I think that had I not had that upbringing and almost, I, I want to say, sheltered existence, 
I may not have ended up where I am because it seems like in larger cities, there's a certain pedigree to be a composer that you, you know, and a life plan you have to follow. You know, you have to do this and, and get into this conservatory and move up the ladder with these teachers. And, you know, only then if they deem you worthy, will you be able to create. <laughs> Everyone around me, I, they're pretty much like, wow, you, you make, you made that? Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I mean, it was just like, it was just that kid that liked that kind of thing. And, you know, there were other kids. I mean, a dear friend of mine, Jesse Dilberdang, went on to, um, he ended up working for Stan Lee. He's a very well-known inker in the comic book business. And I, I, I remember him, he was like getting contracts from New York. Like he wasn't even out of high school yet. Wow. <laughs> Lucky duck. Of course, you know, as a kid, I mean, he was an amazing artist. And, you know, I remember talking to his art teacher and I said, you know, how did he learn how to do that? And he said, he just knew, he just knew how to do it. And I, I, I think you know, not to sound contradictory to what I said earlier, we all have these abilities. It's just, and some people, I think it takes a little more encouragement and, and it might take a little more um, unwinding, to, you know, to get those gifts to surface. Secret of Evermore is one of my favorite games of its era. And the whole experience was enhanced by the score you composed for it. It is actually some of my favorite music. Even though you did it, <laughs> you just one of the first things you've ever done, but it's still to this day, one of our favorite pieces of music for any game. And I don't know if that, that it's, you like that or if you think that's like, oh God, well, what have I been doing? <laughs> no, you know, it's weird. And this is true of almost every game that I've worked on. And this is where I feel like my career is kind of unique, but I will hear about Secret of Rumor about every fourth or fifth day. Really? Wow. <laughs> wow. You know, I mean. It's just that good. I mean, the, I mean, the my first memory, whenever I think of Secret of Evermore, the first thing that pops in my head are not the characters, not the environments, but the music. The music is the first thing that pops into my head. And then, you know, the rest of it starts filling in. But the music is the most memorable part of that game. Mm -hmm. I think for a well, lot of people. Thank you. A lot of people don't know I was involved in naming the game. Really? Um, <laughs> you know what I did is I liked the name. I liked Evermore. So I, were, I wrote it on a whiteboard. And one of the designers liked it and picked it up and used it, but I never said anything. <laughs> Are you serious? No, Today, to this day, and the, probably... and, the, and, and the parallels to Goodwill Hunting just keep piling up. <laughs> so... yeah, exactly. You know, I don't know why it just sort of worked out that way, but wow. um, I, don't, I don't think I've ever told anyone that. So um, wow, that's exclusive. That well, now, now you got to start collecting residuals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I work for Square. It's a great company mm -hmm. to get started and. Actually, it was one of two dream companies. One was LucasArts. May they rest in peace. Oh, yeah, we heard it. Yeah. And then Square. Mm. They were on my list. In my early years, you were talking about Secret Evermore. Um, you know, when I didn't have a lot of things to do, I filled in on testing. And I, I think testing is a great way for people to get into the video game business. It's a very important job. And Yeah, I, you know. I actually, um, uh, Brian Reed, who's a pretty well-known comics author, did a lot of work for Marvel. He uh, he started at Quality Assurance and all that. So testing is the ground level for <laughs> no matter where you want to be in the video game industry, if you're doing testing, you're probably in the right place. Absolutely. I did a lot of work on um, FF6, which became FF3, and uh, the Secret of Mana games and, mm -hmm. and all that. And it, it was interesting because, you know, we really looked up to the dev teams in Japan uh, as a U.S. dev team. And I just remember the sort of uh, reverence that they had in the office for Nobuo Uematsu. I remember hearing the music beyond the limitations of the Super Nintendo. Uh, I could hear it in my head, like the types of ideas and, and things he, he was producing. And to me, I, it, he really sounded like quite possibly the greatest composer in Japan. 
I mean, really, mm. uh, what he was doing was, and still is amazing. I feel like I was very lucky to be involved with Secret Evermore because it was like, there was always this torch out there of, of excellence, you know, looking towards Japan. And we had to work very, very hard to create the game. And uh, what a lot of people don't realize is we didn't get a single line of code from Japan. Mm. Um, wow. That game was, that game was coded from the ground up. And, uh, we were always at a disadvantage, too, with um, uh, our memory allowances. I mean, I remember Doug Smith was the vice president of development at the time, and I'd worked 24 hours straight, and mostly it wasn't because I didn't have my work done. It was because the programming team needed to free up some memory from the sound budget so they could apply it to graphics. And so I finished my job numerous times, maybe a dozen times, but they'd come to me and say, we need more memory. Can you make your portion smaller? <laughs> and I was, I was already way under budget, so I would go in and make these adjustments and free up a little more space so we could, you know, have a toaster dog, you know, <laughs> bob up and down, you know. So, but I remember 24 hours straight and, uh, and Doug walks in. I said, Doug, can I go home now? And he says, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I couldn't do that these days. I'm, no. In my latter 30s, I don't think I could stay up straight like that. But I'll, I'll tell you, being a kid from Iowa, coming out and experiencing my first quad shot Starbucks <laughs> latte. I tell you what, I wasn't even a coffee drinker and Starbucks was pretty new at that time. And holy, I mean, I, I, I will never sleep again. I am done with sleep forever and the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> couldn't buy a beer, so I didn't have that either. Um, <laughs> yeah, no one knew how old I was. They had no clue. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I even did my best to grow a beard, you know, so, sad as it was. Oh, it's hard. Uh, so, I'd hard. so I'd look a little bit older, you know, at 19. <laughs> and when people found out how old I was, I, I decided to just keep the beard and do the whole ZZ Top thing. So, uh, <laughs> so like you do for at least a, i don't know what it was is like almost a year i didn't uh trim that beard at all but you know during the time i was studying brahms i was studying uh brahms anthologies so that probably had something to do with the beard <laughs> um you know because literally i mean i was very fast at what i did and, and bless them at, at square for hiring me but i was really really undertaxed in terms of the amount of work that i was doing and I, I became the best dart player in the company i think or one of the best <laughs> and uh you know I, i'd play around with these toys because we had amazing uh silicon graphics machines at those time and uh so in lieu of having a girlfriend i would um, basically start playing around with things like ray tracing and spline modeling and you know, inverse kinematics and all this. That's cool much stuff. better wow. than a girlfriend. You can't do any of those with a girlfriend. So I've tried that, that yeah. and play right that and played a lot of Warcraft too. But you also uh, can't do on your girlfriend. No. <laughs> so, uh, so that was uh, that was kind of my my first years there at Square. Was the music uh, purely digital? Like, did you have to create it on a computer using only digital means, or did you try to write? as if it was um, orchestrated and then turned it into something digital? Because I'm not sure how they did it back then. Well, it was very simple, very mm. rudimentary. You used the MIDI-based system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was funny about Square. I mean, here we were making something for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, and, you know, I had a $45,000 Pro Tools 3 system, which I, I couldn't use for any reason. It's just, we, we had a, uh, somebody at the company like to buy stuff, and I, I, I don't need this. I don't need this equipment. But they're like, no, you need this technology. You know, we had these $100,000 SGI systems, and we were rendering out, you know, 8-bit color. I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it was amazing. Uh, you know, somebody, somebody at the company, I don't know who, but they really liked equipment. So consequently, I got a chance to play with, you know, very cool toys almost from the beginning. But working with the Nintendo was, um, it was almost a, a minimalist experience. I mean, it's like a, a philosophy. You know? <laughs> 
And, you know, I, I couldn't understand how the guys in Japan kept getting so much energy. And I, I could only suss it up to, like, maybe they had a better driver than what I was working with because um, they could achieve tempos with that box where I would try to put the hardware through the same paces. And I was getting what's called porpoising. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> where, well, what it is is, like, if you have, you know, when the record player goes up and down mm. and up and down, faster and slower and faster and slower. And that's what I was dealing mm. with most of the time. So... Let's just put it this way. My drivers were really bad. <laughs> we weren't using the Sony drivers. We were using a, a third-party source, and it cost a lot of money. And there was no way I was going to be able to create the same kind of music that I was hearing from my peers in Japan. Uh, so I decided, you know, I'm going to go a totally different route and make something with ambient sound uh, as part of the game. And so that's what we did. When you go to the jungle, it sounds like a jungle. It had ocean sounds when you go near the ocean. I mean, these are things that had been done. To some extent, I mean, I, I remember playing the old 8-bit Zelda and they had an ocean sound there with the white noise generator. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. yeah. That was something I wanted to do. And so one of the reasons why the score sounded as different as it did uh, from Secret of Mana or some of the others was really just the fact that I was dealing with different technology, different software drivers. And, you know, had I wanted to, to do something that sounded like Final Fantasy, it just wouldn't have been possible. Mm. Not with those tools. Well, I think it worked out well because I, I <laughs> like it because of how unique it sounds, actually, and how different it sounds. Thanks. Well, it ended up being more mellow. Over the years, I've, I, I sort of have this reputation of writing mellow music, <laughs> you know, and there's a reason for that. I mean, it, I you listen know, to it your music at night. <laughs> well, people uh, are listening to the disc four of the Skyrim OST to help put them to sleep. <laughs> uh, and, and Atmospheres is like that. It, it's, it really is um, a really cool disc. I think in a lot of ways it, it, it employed a lot of uh, psychoacoustic techniques and the way I worked with uh, some of the synthesis and things. And, and there and there's some uh, trade secrets that I have. <laughs> but it, it helps people go to sleep. When, when I hear, I don't want to go to sleep. I want to start like a small fire pit in the backyard on a cold <laughs> night and heat up a bottle of mead. And just like, talk with people around the fire. Yeah, just or even just there. sit in silence, just uncomfortable silence. And just, well, not silence, because we're listening to the music. <laughs> uncomfortable silence? You know, like in the game, you'd sit across from somebody, you're just staring. Music you hear someone munching on Sit a by bread. yourself and finger a dagger, too, you know, just. <laughs> <laughs> and think back on the people yeah. you Look killed. up at the sky, just, you know, hear what, the birds. What have I done? You're making it sound like when you were younger, you were obviously into music, and you also were into games. At what point did you say, not only do I want to make music, but specifically for video games, or did you sort of fall into it because it was a common interest? Well, between my two primary university teachers, one for piano pedagogy and one for composition, um, I had about eight hours of homework every day, in addition to my public school. <laughs> I started in junior high with classical training. So video games were about really my only escape in between all that homework. So, you know, I, I played a lot of... Um, Capcom games and Konami games. And so it seemed sort of like the natural extension, like what's in front of you. It's like, well, I like video games and I like music. And, <laughs> and you know, I, I kind of was around science. My grandfather was soldering together computers, doing that sort of thing. So it just seemed natural for me to say, you know what, it would be cool if dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> and I honestly, I thought I'd work in the industry for a couple of years um, so I can continue my education, become a PhD and teach at a university. Well, it's still only been a couple of years, really, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> time. Right. Those golden handcuffs, you know, they, <laughs> they don't let you out. But I've been working the business solid since then. And I really feel like I've learned a lot along the way. And it really shaped me as a composer. I, I can't say that what I've done is has really been the same path had I gone the you know the academic route you know where would I be today I don't know I have no idea probably a nuclear physicist 
if you hadn't done just music. A quantum physicist. Or, yeah. I, I swear I would have made a very bad physicist. <laughs> I, I think people who say that make the best physicists. <laughs> they're they're more, pro, we'll more prone to happy accidents. <laughs> you got to be careful with my grandfather's level with, with those accidents. That would have been very bad. Um, I am right now in a steel reinforced. It's basically an underground bomb shelter. Uh, it was built. It was built in the Cold War. Um, <laughs> not kidding. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. And uh, I try to take as much as I can from these spaces, as we said earlier, getting back to space and make uh, music that people can feel as if they are in that space. Uh, I talked to a historian, and he basically said the facility here was originally used as an offsite backup and edit bay for the One and Lund Film Studio which was based here in Laurel Canyon, which is the world's largest fully enclosed film studio. Mm, wow. And what those guys did up there was um, they made movies of nuclear bombs going off. It's one of the things that they were tasked with doing. It's part of the Freedom Information Act now, and it's been declassified or decommissioned. I really don't know the full history of this place, but it's interesting because, you know, my grandfather was very much involved in a lot of those tests. So there's a good possibility, because I know he went to California, there's actually a very good possibility that he actually physically set foot in this facility hmm. years ago. That's strange. And, and, and yes. by happenstance... You're almost now, following in his footsteps in some sort of weird way. <laughs> way parallel parallel kind of, dimension. Very weird. There's a lot of little signaling and things like that you notice, and it's very strange how that works, but... Grandpa could never say what he was doing, but we eventually figured it out. But <laughs> <laughs> came home, he glowed to some, to some degree. Around, Kept a Geiger well, counter on the shelf. Oh, you, I'm not kidding. I have all kinds of instrumentation here <laughs> at the studio. I, I have a Geiger counter. I have a seismograph. I have near infrared, near ultraviolet sensors. Just for fun, or yeah. is it required? You know what's really, really interesting? This is just to be a total nerd here for a minute. Please, yes, yes. <laughs> Indulge yourself. <laughs> All right, I'm in heaven. All right, so when that earthquake happened in Japan, the earthquake in Japan, it created infrasound that traveled around the world at least 25 times. And each time it went around the planet, it only lost maybe 4 or 5% of its energy. I'd have to check, and I don't know the timing and stuff, but if I look back at the logs and stuff that we're looking at here, if, let's just say, God forbid, that a volcano ever goes off on the other side of the earth, that infrasound will get picked up at Laurel Canyon at some point. It's just a matter of time. So it, it's really quite amazing when you think about how connected life and the earth is. So what you're telling us is when we hear about this volcano, we should check with you to figure out exactly when it happened. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I joke about this, but, and I'm certainly not a seismologist, but sometimes you, you have a cluster of earthquakes and, you know, they have to sort of make a call as to whether or not they inform the public mm -hmm. about things. And I have just maybe this morbid curiosity about earthquakes and whatnot. And, you know, here I am in Los Angeles, but I want to know, I mean, I want to know if we're, we're going or going these little clusters and I want to learn what that's about. And I tell my friends, and this is the joke. I said, well, if you want to know if something bad's going to happen, just ask me first and I'll tell you if there's been a, a swarm of earthquakes. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you before uh, the LA news does. It's fun. I mean, you know, like I say, for me, Growing up in a sort of a scientific environment, I spent a lot of time with my grandfather because my dad worked very hard at school. And, and, and I spent time painting, too. My mother was able to, to uh, teach me things about color theory and, and um, composition and things about the great artist, you know, Renoir or Monet, or learn about the greatness of spontaneity and the creation that these guys engaged in. It stuck with me. Great things start with small beginnings, I think. And if anything, to look back at the Northerner and look sort of the purpose of what I'm doing, I really want to start something for others. That's what's been the most rewarding part of this whole process. Thanks so much to Jeremy for joining us on the show. 
And remember, if you want to support The Northerner, just head over to Jeremy's Kickstarter, which is linked to this episode's page. You can get a lot of incredible rewards, including The Northerner on CD, autographed by Jeremy Soule. They may have reached their initial goal, but if they're going to record in one of the best-known orchestra-ready studios in this continent, they're going to need your help. The track we have taking us out is Secret of Evermore, Somber Memory, by Audio Fidelity and Jenny Faye Davis. It's their take on The Queens, one of Jeremy Soule's tracks from Secret of Evermore. And this is from OC Remix's Unsung Heroes album, an album dedicated to amazing games that don't get nearly enough love. This is Somber Memory. Uh, Doug, you know, people have been asking us how we feel about this LucasArts thing. 
And oh. I mean, we can't get into that right now. I'm about to say, don't. Yeah, do you want me to launch it? I, I can. Are you talking about the death of LucasArts? I'm talking about LucasArts um, meeting Everything. a demise at the hands of Disney. Uh, well, someone all, had to the, do it. 150 yeah. people fired, and uh, now the um, thirteen thirteen canceled. The, and the branding for LucasArts, the thing that kills me the most, it's not a game studio anymore. It doesn't exist. The branding will still exist. They'll be able to like use that. License it we'll out. have to go into that on, that, on like, State that, of the that, Empire. That is a State of the Empire thing, but here you are, here we are, we're talking about video games. We It behooves us to mention that. Mm-hmm. We will cover that in a future episode of State of the Empire Star Wars Speculation Podcast. It was I gotta, I'll be warming my way back in there because I got things to say. <laughs> we'll see about that. Yeah, young Padawan, you have to defeat your Sith Master if you want to. <laughs> but I'm trying to get into his schedule. He's got all these other people he's been fighting recently, and he's it's hard, man. Well, in it's other hard. nerdy show video game community stuff, recently there's some big shakeups in the Minecraft server. We're going to have an article we're posting probably in the next week or so detailing all this. We had a big discussion that, that erupted over whether or not the server was too full and we'd have to restart it all over again. Last time we restarted, it was when it when Minecraft went out of beta. Went out of beta, yeah. yeah. So it was like, well, is the server too big? What are we going to do? So The uh, server is never too big. You can go on forever. There was a big discussion in the forums, and uh, what we ended up doing was we created a new spawn point that's been uh, collaborated on by pretty much everybody. We're creating a unified rail system, so even if you just have a casual passing interest in checking out the Nerdy Show server of awesome, very soon when we activate the new spawn, you'll be able to go there and uh, get on a rail system and check out all the amazing things that people have built. It, we're going to try to unify the server and uh, keep it active. So you're making a new spawn clean. point that's so far away that it kind of would it, interfere? It's actually equidistant between the two currently existing spawn points. Oh, okay. So you won't just... We're turning it into almost like a nerdy show Disneyland. Because I, I know for new people, when they first start, there's so much stuff everywhere and you have to walk that, for that's, that's honestly days. The only, that's the only reason why I haven't even gotten in there because I, I have never played Minecraft. I would like to, but it just looks so intimidating that I, there's no easy way to begin. Hell, so that's, that's how like, we can just drop that's you off. In the middle of nowhere. Yeah, no, yeah. Then, then I'll be like, "Oh, great. Well, now I'm confused and scared." But now this—that sounds like something that would help people can, like me. You can get, you know, get in a minecart and just ride the rails and see the sights. Yeah, which exactly. Is, which is helpful because I'll tell you, like Pokemon I've even got, Snap. I've got. My- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even with mod powers, our server is so daunting. I can fly around and see everything, but I have no idea where to go. I just like summoning dragons. I can't stop, and they eat all the blocks. So you're you're to blame for that. Uh, Brandon yeah. is the force of chaos. Sometimes I um, appear. So he's the natural things. disaster that you would have in SimCity. Thank you, Tony. Nice segue. We got uh, we got to mention that Colin, our, our beloved most of the time editor Colin and sometimes host, he has started a nerdy show region in the new SimCity. He has a prosperous city called Son of a Bitchburg, focusing in oil. Uh, <laughs> He wants you guys to play with him to join the region and to do some big projects together, like international airports and stuff. Is, yes, is it, play with is Colin. Is it still beta, or is it actually... No, it's out. No, it's no out. the game is it's, out. It's, it's out, and there was a... Oh, did yeah. you miss that? The shit storm? I haven't been yeah. a huge SimCity oh, fan. Well, remember what happened? There's a shit storm in the new SimCity? <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Remember what happened with Diablo 3? Yeah. Even worse. Oh, really? Yeah, so, oh, yeah. so bad Amazon was refunding people. Apparently the game is still great. The game is still a lot of fun. Well, There's a couple what's so of bad that they're refunding people? The you, always you, you on DRM. To, yeah, you have to be online to play. And uh, Oh, that's the problem? Who ca- if you're not online at this point, you're... Uh, no, no, no. If, uh, no, you don't understand. <laughs> no, I don't. The, the servers, were, servers were not working. Oh, no one so was, you, would you, spend, you spent $60. You've been oh, waiting. And you couldn't, get and on. You couldn't play the game. Yeah. And, and for, you for a long time, it was a press nightmare. Uh, apparently it's fine now. Colin has shushed my naysaying of the game. He likes it a lot, and he wants you guys to play with him. Uh, he says, uh, friend request him via Origin. He's at Colin C. Peterson. That's one word, and C is in the letter C, not the ocean. Um, <laughs> we're going to post a link to the FAQ about friending and so on, so you can or, find him. The server he's on is... Uh, 
Europe West 6. He doesn't know how he ended up on this Europe West 6 server, if it is what it sounds like it is. Probably it was the American probably, servers were down. Well, it was probably some fuck up related to when it launched. So <laughs> if you can get on there, great. And he says, let's get a fucking region of glory rolling. I actually I, am excited. I, was, now. It, was it meant to sound like glory holing? I don't know. <laughs> no, but <laughs> let's get some glory holing. It's Colin, so and it's us. My, so that kind of makes sense. My computer can actually handle it, so now I, I don't even. You have know, no excuse. I don't even know if I'm good at SimCity, but I'm going to play it. And if you've already contributed to um, Jeremy Soul's Northerner, well, if you're feeling extra generous, there's another cool thing. It's called Tiny Games, and something Colin cued me into. You know how fun WarioWare micro games are? Yes. War- or imagine if you had an app that you told the app where you were and what sort of things you had around, and then it gave you a micro game to play with you and your friends. Wait, hmm. so if I had a bunch of dildos in my room and I told it that, if? It, that they're there... You need, to, you need to have make... someone tell you what game you would play with that? It's <laughs> not mean, obvious all, at that will, point. Will Who's in my mouth, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> but like if you're out at like a restaurant, it's like, hey, whoever can do 12 shots first. Or... <laughs> it's not a drinking game, but it, there, there are games that do involve pubs and uh, glasses of beer. I don't really know how it works. Anyway, it's a cool Kickstarter, and we'll link to it on this episode's page. As well we should. And now it's time for Bioshock with spoilers. So this is the very end of the episode. All you're going to miss is um, you're going to miss a great song by Adam Warrock, but it's kind of spoilerific so we got that coming up and we're going to talk about the end of the game don't worry i'm leaving too so yeah. get the fuck out, <laughs> if you're dog. interested in not having a beautiful story ruined for you do not listen to the rest of this but if you want some catharsis because you've completed that beautiful story now's the time to uh hear what we have why'd to you say, say catharsis that. why does it have to be catharsis because it's the end of an emotional tumultuous experience doug okay what you do like, do you expect any less i just you know the word choice was peculiar okay i don't even know what that word I'm means out. <laughs> all right Doug is out of the room. Bastard. Spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. This spoiler is, alert. Spoiler is, alert. Incoming spoilers. We're going to talk the shit out of the end of the podcast. You're the main bad guy. Done. There's, there's plenty of stuff we want. <laughs> <laughs> main character's the main bad guy. Done. Alternate realities. <laughs> well, done. She's your daughter. <laughs> hey, we, I guess we, you know, that's if a, you've listened to this that's, and you really didn't mean to, I'm sorry. That's not how I would have played it, but you know we gave him fair warning. We can't yeah, really. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, like, that's fair. You're that's fucked. fair. Yeah, I mean, you, we the, told you not to listen. Did we tell them not to listen? Because t- you, you better have put that warning the, in. We the, end of the, the end of Bioshock Infinite has a similar twist, as does the original Bioshock, which I'm going to spoil as well. Yeah, do it. And what's cool about the twists that Irrational Games has put into their games is that they use the way that we play games, the mechanics that actually go into a video game, to frame their twists. The original Bioshock, your character, this unnamed person, is told in various... I just forget what it is. No, he doesn't, actually. Yeah, he's just an unnamed protagonist. He goes through, and there are moments where a character will come over a loudspeaker and say, like, would you kindly put your weapons away so you don't anger that big beast over there? And all of a sudden, the weapons drop off the screen, and you're like, oh, it's one of those points in the game where I can't kill things. And you don't realize that you're doing it against your will. It's because it's a mechanic. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You're used to this. It's like, you know, now would you kindly leave this area? And you leave the area because that's what you're supposed to do. So then when the moment comes in the game where Andrew Ryan, who has been the big bad up until this point, says, you know, you've got this mnemonic trigger that when someone says, would you kindly, you have to obey. A man chooses a slave obeys and forces you to kill him by saying, would you kindly kill me with this golf club? <laughs> and he you, it's like, oh, my God, my mind is a video it, gamer. You know, I'd like to say alone. Bioshock Infinite is really great. They did not top that. Not even remotely. I think they did in a more subtle way. Doesn't they did in a more jack. subtle way because shut up <laughs> because the end of the game you're presented with this option especially when you've got anna in your hands your daughter who is elizabeth and he says you have to give him to him you mm-hmm. can wait as long as you want but this has to happen i've seen the predetermined outcome and it's like because it's a video game that's true how long did you, you cannot, wait though how long I, did you wait to i see? didn't because i recognized that I, I i did too but i was like you know what i'm just gonna stand in the corner for like two minutes to see if anything happens and nothing happened, did it? No, it didn't. I was because hoping. There are, and they, they use these choices throughout the game where it's like, you know, heads or tails, pick this or this. It all goes to the same end with constants and variables. There are constants in the game. There are variables in the game. The variables can change. You'll either wear a cage or a bird on her neck, but it doesn't change the That's outcome. That's true. Right. Yeah, well, was... why, why isn't he helping us rowing? Well, he doesn't row. Oh, I see what you mean. He doesn't row. Yeah, and I like now when you look back and you're like, oh, I know what that means now. And yeah, I did like the, like, it was almost like a false pretense of choice because whether you pick the, the what symbol she wears the, or the, the bird of the cage. We, yeah, we did two different coin tosses at the beginning. When I watched his game, your character picked heads or something and I picked tails. And it always lands on heads, but mm-hmm. our characters still pick different things. And that's the trick. There are constants and variables depending on what our, you All of our games exist H- in different however, realities. I, however, I mean, I still stand by that. Well, the end of, uh, of Infinite, and this just by no means makes it a, a greater or lesser game, but it's like, it was like, oh, okay. And not like, whoa, fuck me. I've been living a lie. Part of, though, I, I think- was fuck me when I found out when he's like, he's like, you are Booker DeWitt. You were Zachary Comstock, and he's like, I now, here's the thing about that. And I was like, when, why? I didn't really realize the full extent of what was happening until they, they put your head you in under. the water. Yeah, yeah. And, like, and I, was I was like, like what the? Fuck? I was like, I was like, well, Elizabeth, goddamn it! Now hold on a second. We, you asked me if I was sure about it, but you didn't even tell me. What, you didn't even ask me what I was sure about. I mean, I <laughs> come on. <laughs> we could have at least hung out for a while. Now, did you guys wait through the credits? She hated you. Yeah, and then like, there's this, we're just a scene where yeah, you, where you go you're in, like, you hear the baby crying. You're and, like, and, and you go in, and, and, and it's, it's the day after. I mean, that's why they put the date. That's yeah. the day after you would have gone to Columbia. So mm-hmm. the baby's still there. So none of the events happened. None of the events happened, which is why at the end, I think when all the Elizabeths or Annas fade, there's one left. I think there's one. Maybe left. that's kind. Of, that's kind of like an inception really know, moment yeah. where it's like, does the top fall? Does it not? Because the screen cuts to black, just as she would have mm-hmm. faded away. It's a really interesting take on baptism and what happens to the sins that are left behind when you get baptized, according mm-hmm. to religion. So, you know, he, he leaves Booker DeWitt behind to become Zachary Comstock in such a complete way. And playing through the game a second time, there's all this dialogue, all these barbs that he's throwing at you through the game that sound like he's just being a prophetic religious douchebag. And no. No. It's because he knows. Yeah. And it actually, the game, I think, is more compelling. When you play it a second time, because I immediately wanted to play again, you start yeah. noticing 
so much that you didn't understand the first time. Every time someone talks to you when an event happens, you're like, oh, I fucking get why that's happening now. Mm-hmm. Whereas the first time, you're like, why Why did that happen? Yeah. Okay, whatever. One of my favorite things about the game happened really early on. We debated whether or not we would even discuss it in the pr- section prior to this. And, mm-hmm. and we opted not to because it was a really fun experience. But it was um, going into this, I knew from all the press stuff that they'd been sending out for the last like year plus about this game. I knew there were dimensional tears. I knew there was I didn't a, read any of that on purpose. I, I knew, well, I think is I, you I know, I, just, I couldn't avoid it. I saw a screenshot with Elizabeth standing in front of a marquee that said uh, "Revenge to Jedi," and then you know the scene happens in the game where that that happens. You know, I knew about that, but what I didn't expect was how it would invade the world and the subtle ways they've done it. And like, kudos to whoever was working on sound design in this game, because when the barbershop quartet starts singing "God Only Knows" by the Beach Boys, you hear because it's the barbershop rendition is so good. It's just like, oh, that's a quartet. It, like, it yeah, sounds well, it nice. sounds like any other piece of audio that's in that's in the game. But there's just little niggling and, feeling at the back like, of your head. Brandon was with me when I was when I was playing this first time, and I, the dialogue in my head was. Oh, weird. I didn't know that song was that old. Wait a minute. I know that song. I said the same fucking yeah, thing. I was like, wait, I, I know that song. I mean, like, I really know that song. That's the Beach Boys. Wait, that's the Beach Boys. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> and then what all of the Beach Boys did in 1914. Like, the, the 1910 rendition of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. With that guy who's kind oh, during of the talking well, it's Well, it's in the game itself as well. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. When you find, you jump into this one house that actually it, has it, the fake. Oh, it I is didn't actually, even pick up on that. It is actually, they're it's so subtle. It's they're so well worked. The style the renditions are so good that you don't even know. Like, the fairground music is girls just want to have fun. I know! <laughs> oh, like, and what, I didn't I mean, I didn't get it. <laughs> I, no, because I, that... I was sitting there going, because I'm hearing like the little calliope, and it's like, that's girls just want to have fun. But bar none, one of my favorite moments. You take It's like you take it for granted. Of all the surprises in the game where it like abuses your preconceived notions of gameplay, it's that's the, the one where they deceive you the most. Yeah, it really is. Just after you have gotten Chen Lin's weapons back to him and you're going back through Shantytown and the Vox Populi uprising has come in, in this reality, Booker DeWitt is a martyr. There's that girl sitting on the stockades where these two prisoners were before, and she's singing this almost like... It it sounds like a Negro spiritual. Exactly. It sounds like a slave train song, to use the parlance of the time, but it's not. It's Fortunate Son by Creedence Clearwater Revival. It's just this haunting, very tinny voice. All this chaos, and it settles down, and you hear... Well, and you get into places like the the bar in uh, in Shantytown, and... Tainted Love is playing on the record player, and it's like, it's a blues song. It sounds like a... So you're saying the soundtrack is pretty great in this game. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, yeah, it's it's really brilliant and and deceptive, and it just sounds like a a solid old blues track, and, you know, it's not. It's either Gloria Jones or Soft Cell, depending on your flavor, so... uh, (laughs) But it's, you could say, oh, they're just putting a bunch of cover songs in there, but it's not using cover songs... In the way that most people... These cover songs are so spot-on done, it invades your subconscious. You will ignore them as background music facilitating the world because they're mixed in with actual songs from that time period, and they sound just like them. You can't tell the difference. It's incredible. I mean, this game, once the twists start hitting, because one thing we talked about in the earlier portion is that it kind of takes until you find Elizabeth to really get into the meat and potatoes of the game. Mm-hmm. But the twists start coming, the tears start coming, she starts recreating reality, and you start realizing, you know, is the leader of the Vox Populi any better than Comstock? And it weaves this this story of narrative, this kind of like, what is reality, what is a narrative we're telling ourselves? Because Something I kind of retcon for myself personally is, I feel that based on like listening to her speak on the Voxophones, she got really mental. I didn't really see that progression happen at all. 
I kind of chalk it up to it being a, the, the fact that you go through so many realities. You hit one where not only was she successful in her revolutionary attempts, yeah. she was successful because she was way more ruthless. And I think she's what changed in that reality. There's that and, I mean, the death of Booker. One of the most interesting that you run into this, this corporal a little bit later on. About, I'd say, the first quarter of the game, you run into this person that Booker fought with at the Battle of Wounded Knee. Yeah. And... And by the way, like, how dumb are we? It's just another situation of all the clues to the ending being stuck in front of us. Like, he knows who you are. He knows who Comstock is. Like, they he's happen at the that same... Comstock wasn't there. Yeah. I mean, one of, one of his big things is that Comstock he's says that he was there, but he took... He cr- he's it, taking credit for what we did. Right. Booker. He's taking credit for what we did. It's like, no, he's taking credit for what we did because we did it. All these signs point to it. Oh, yeah. The way that the writing is on the wall, but disguised in such a way that you don't notice it, is so brilliant. Like I kind of suspected that. I mean, I that Elizabeth there, was, my, was my daughter because the first thing I meant I saw was you know the brand AD. on his hand, yeah. AD. And then at some point, someone recognizes her and says Anna, but no, that's not Anna. And she's like, no, my name is Elizabeth. And you're like AD. And I was like, I put it together pretty mm-hmm. early. On. I was like, I didn't know if that was right, but I was like, it's too much of a coincidence. Yeah, and it's I didn't catch. All the references to the main character being Comstock, though. That I didn't know till the very yeah, last yeah, time. I, 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 I like that I didn't know it. It's one of those where even the daughter bit. I mean, I caught the same thing. But, but I wasn't just sure. Out of curi- just out of curiosity, did you pull your gun or did you put your hand down on the counter yell at the guy who was there at the translation? I got my fucking hand stabbed, dude. I got my hand stabbed. I got my hand stabbed the first time, didn't the second time, and the entire game, now all of a sudden I can see it. It's clear as Are day. you serious? Yeah. So does anything, well, you don't know if anything is different because you didn't play the game the other way, yes, right? Yes, I did. I played he both played, ways. So played anything twice. else or just that? No, it's just, it's just that you don't have this thing on your hand. Cool. Constants and variables. Damn it. My hand was Which, bloody the whole game. Let, me just, let me just say real quick to all of the people who there is no direct connection between the two Bioshocks, you do wind up in Rapture because after Elizabeth gets well, you should know back, this or unless you just love spoiling shit. Uh, once Elizabeth, it was cool to go back to Rapture and have that be the death of Songbird. Even only for and like all a of minute. A sudden, okay. when, when you're seeing all the lighthouses, all the doors at the end of the game, Holy shit, how cool was that? The, the multiple lighthouse scenes and the baptism scenes, all that stuff was great. It was really, really great. Now, here's some things where this is an interesting discussion of... Yeah, uh, that was kind of pointless of, to have of the rapture ex- in there. I have expectations and so on. The game stands alone fine, but this ties in a little bit to how they promoted it. The first thing they ever released for Bioshock Infinite, it was a huge event. It was streaming on Xbox and everything. Everybody saw the first video of Bioshock Infinite. You saw Elizabeth in the outfit she wears only half of the game mm-hmm. in a, an environment where... You and her were in full-blown daylight out in um, Columbia, and you were under siege by a bunch of characters, but also Songbird, right? Mm-hmm. If, I, if, I, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, were you, like, There's fighting a on a bridge or something? Yeah, there, then, were, there were a couple of different ways. Did you guys, that, like, that, make a tornado or something that never happens? One of the things about this game that we didn't really touch on earlier is that, yes, it's been b- being developed for six years, but there were a lot of changes that happened throughout the course of this game. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, like, high members of the development team left. There was a lot they changed that went the through entire it. She was play. going to have like telekinetic powers and then at one you were going to be able to combine with them I, I actually thought i saw a video once where she put out something and you also shot no, it you something did, and it combined because there were a couple of 15 minute gameplay demos and these were true gameplay demos that happened but just they decided the, the order of events it didn't, it didn't work for the story sometimes, it, sometimes it doesn't work alan wake used to be an open sandbox game you used to be able to drive all the way around the fucking town and i mean one of the things right. they were originally going to do too is it wasn't going to be labor union versus the racial inequality it was going to be the adaptation of technology hmm. it was going to be like luddites versus technophiles but they do that with every game i mean even the first draft of bioshock was not anything what it turned out to be it was about yeah. a guy trying to rescue someone from a cult and deprogram them and you were a cult deprogrammer and, and that's what bioshock l- was like about. i said 
Infinite stands alone by itself just fine, but it's an interesting dialogue that needs to happen with what do they release? Because the whole time I was expecting Songbird to be a bigger part of the story. Oh, Instead, absolutely. Like Songbird, for something that was initially portrayed as being like, say, as iconic as a big daddy, not even remotely. No. But I understand why they restricted him from the game to an extent, because then all of a sudden <clears throat> you'd have to fight him. You would have to fight Songbird, and how would that fight go? They tried that with the big sisters in Bioshock 2. Didn't work. Well, I thought it worked. It was hard as fuck. Songbird is still probably in the game more. They're releasing three add-ons. That's right. They are releasing more story-based DLC. But it pisses me off. You know why? Because when all the companies want you to pay that extra $20 for the season pass so you can get them all for free. And you know what? I'll buy it now because it's cheaper now because I am going to want it. (sighs) Here's another thing. They also released videos. Um explaining the development process and the creation of all the various enemies like the uh, the patriots and like those terrifying fuckers from the asylum with well, the, the yeah. horns which yeah. i thought you would get to fight oh, more but you we're, really. we're talking about the handyman because he's the next one i'm sure that we were going to yeah. talk about i have to say the heart-wrenching voxophone that i found when you first get to bank industries you find the one voxophone of this woman saying how you know her husband had gotten some cancer or something like that and how better to have a live handyman yeah. Then something else. Yeah, the guy that you fight in the giant suit. No, you don't fight him because you find a dead handyman after you recreate Shantytown, after you get all the weapons to the yeah. Vox. And you see these Vox who are posing on top of it and they're taking pictures like, yeah, we killed it. Woo. Now do one where you're shitting on it or something like that. And it's got a Voxophone in its hand. And you go and you listen to the Voxophone and it's that same woman saying, you know, you, you've fallen into these rages. But please, as you go forward, remember that I am here for you. One day we will be reunited as we were on a golden, nope. sh- on a golden shore. And then she just repeats three times, I love you. Nope. And it's like, I just learned this whole life story to a character that I didn't even fight. I had no real emotional attachment outside of these two voxophones. And it's just like... That character was depressing in any reality. At the very beginning of the game, and people are taking pictures, and and he's he's like like, like a Frankenstein. He's cringing, and he's like hiding every time the flash goes off. And I was like, what's the deal with this character? I don't understand... Is he bad? Is he good? Is he going to help me? I mean, What's happening oh, here? Well, you end up thing. fighting him anyway. Handymans are interesting characters, but I killed them all from afar. I See, how did you his... do that? Because I had a lot of trouble. They kept charging me and I kept running I and shooting. Surprisingly and... limber. I, I don't know what it was about the gameplay, but like Literally. I was not forced to have as intimate experiences with the handymans as I was the big daddies. And I think that's too bad. Um, no, I mean, that's true. There, there was character or enemy like that like the big daddy works and i don't i don't need it to be the same it just seems like they wanted me to but i didn't and uh, what what i'm trying to get at here is there's two points one is that by promoting stuff in a certain way i knew what was coming and it was less effective for it and it wasn't my fault for seeing it because they were trying to hype me up for it but instead they were revealing things and they were also creating false conceptions of what i could expect from the game which was dangerous but it turned out okay it's fine it's just a, a sort of problem and then here's the other thing you know, I mentioned earlier how the, the gameplay and the, the story didn't really complement each other after a while. I feel like it really happened in the third act because when the game ended... At yeah, what I did, point did that start happening? You, what, you said when they, they started the Vox Populi, did their well, uprising? Or? Um, uh, it was when you're trying to get to Comstock House. The asylum? And, and you have, yeah. you're presented with kind of two and a half ways to get to the same point. And you'll, mm-hmm. you'll find multiple skirmishes on your way there. You get to the door, you realize it's locked, you have to do, run a bunch of errands. But... If you're playing in the sort of completest sense and you want all the voxophones, you can't know what's going to happen if you go to the end. So you know, as a game player who needs to get all the voxophones. Explore everything. Right, explore everything. In some places you can't get into. So you just wander around that fucking thing where there's not even remotely enough conflict or people. For like three hours. You're just, you're alone. You're just alone wandering and it's dreary and dry and dull gameplay. 
where nothing happens. Well, the neat thing is that you can look around everywhere and see all the different parts of the cities on fire. So yeah. I imagine everyone's dead or evacuated. It, it's, now, I will say, Captain, because I, I felt the same way you did the first time I went through the game. Yeah. Playing through it a second time, taking my time, because, I mean, I got this game the day it came out. I had beaten it the second. I, I just shotgunned through it. I didn't have to. I just had to. My second time, I took my time. I went through, and while, yeah, the gameplay kind of takes a stop there, once you know what's coming, you can really just appreciate everything that's well, happening. Well, sure there. you can, but you have to assume that, as a game designer, you have to assume that someone's only going to play this once. So you have to get I mean, it right the first time. That's a safe way to create a game, is assume they're just going to play just saying, it once. And I'm just saying, the story is very straightforward. They're going to tell you a version of the story, but they give you the illusion of choice, but then it misleads you into these weird, it just, sometimes it falls apart. So it fell apart there and it kind of stayed falling apart because then you, you get into the asylum situation and it's really cool, but it's kind of a little too short and it's drastically different from the rest of the game. And you're like, maybe I'm near the end, but then they present you with this additional chapter of like, oh, here's, this, here's the stuff with the Zeppelins and all that. And you think, well, this is interesting because in normal mode, it wasn't particularly hard. It was arduous, but it wasn't particularly hard. You were fighting the same enemies. You'd been fighting the same the whole time. I found it. <laughs> I, did, I, 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 might I almost got well. killed a few times. I died I, a lot. I, I, I had maybe You're just like, that good, I guess. I had three deaths at the final level when you're commanding the songbird. Yeah. And that was it. But the thing um, you said about the illusion of choice, isn't that kind of the point of the well, game? Is that it is an it, illusion of yeah, choice. But, but Everything they, is. They, they are directing where you devote your attention towards. It would be good if they gave you less choice because then you wouldn't find yourself in this place where you're like, I know there's supposed to be something happening here. Why is nothing happening? Why is it like I'm in some kind of glitched out version of the game where nothing's going on? See, I thought that was eerie because I, I did expect like any second something weird's going to happen and I just kind of paced myself and it, it didn't really until I, a certain point. I kind of felt the same way that it was more atmosphere than it was anything else. Mm -hmm. The game dynamic ends in a weird place. It gives you two new gameplay elements right at the end. Okay, that's true. So you are defending the core of the ship. First time I died, it's because I didn't realize that's what I was even doing. I don't know about you guys, <laughs> yeah. but like, yeah, and I was like, why is the I, life I, going down? There's a life bar. I thought, shit. Yeah, I thought that was Songbird's life bar. I didn't. No, I had no uh, idea. Yeah, they started shooting. The like, they were totally unclear about that. Then all of a sudden, you're controlling Songbird. So there's two elements: a defense element, and then uh, a, like a tactical almost. A, right. So they've got all this new stuff, and I'm like, okay, well that's interesting. And I'm looking forward to when I land in Colombia again and get to sort of uh, full circle. Oh, you're expecting re to revisit? Just like... Yeah, revisit the like this like final confrontation with like like whatever else I've got to do. And instead, that's the end of the game. You're at the end of the game. You don't realize you're at the end of the game. I'm wandering around still looking for voxophones. Like in the lighthouse like, stuff? Like, oh, I'm like, at the, oh, uh, the, the baptism. I'm, I'm wandering all around the baptism looking for voxophones. I did the same thing, but that's just what a good gamer does. It doesn't matter. You still search everywhere. I'm saying that I shouldn't do that. I'm saying that they shouldn't allow me to think I need to do that because you know what was hurt by that experience? The ending of the game was hurt by that experience. By them having groomed me to be an insane hoarder the whole time. And like, you know... But is that's this, the thing is, why is, would is, you, you think... Could, I could say, is it my fault? Sure, it's my fault. I was playing the game that way. But did they ask me to play 98% of the game that way? Yes, they well, did. Well, that's the thing. In the, in the laws of that reality, would you really expect there to be a voxophone on Rapture? There isn't any. Would there be any near a baptism? No. And they're not going to just throw one in an area where it couldn't it, yeah. exist. Well, okay, well, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense, but I don't even, you know. But you yeah, you're always like, there's got to be a hidden thing. But yeah. I, I guess. I, I meticulously checked the world, and I didn't come out with all the voxophones. The I, there was still there was an area in the graveyard I couldn't I, get into. I don't understand it, that did, mausoleum. Tony, Tony, did you get into the... the, the there's the, a mausoleum with bars, and there's like an item in there, like an, an equipment, and I couldn't figure out how to get in it. Yeah. I mean, this is a game that I'm actually going to have to turn to, like a, an FAQ or something like that, yeah. to track down everything. Find out the, I the nuggets you missed. Do I know my favorite part of the entire game, though? Let me in on it. When, as soon as I learned I could shoot birds out of my hand... 
That's what I used the entire game. <laughs> and then at, later on, I realized that I could throw fire at it and light the birds on fire, too, to do damage to everything. And that's all I used. I had no idea you could do that. Yeah. That's a combination I need to get. And the best thing for, like, bosses or hard guys, whenever your shield's empty, you know that the charge one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All you do is you just tap and hit someone and your shields are filled. And you just keep hitting everyone and your shields keep no, refilling. That might awesome. If you That's buy that upgrade. Like a, a, yeah. A so I love thing. it. Now, since we're talking about favorite parts of the game, one of my favorite parts of the game is once you go to Shantytown for the first time, before it's all fucked up and it's just really depressing, you go into the basement of the bar, she sings. you see a guitar sitting there. And you walk up and Booker just starts... Did you play the guitar, Cap? Yeah, I played the, the guitar. guitar. And then, of course, you watch the video that's running through the credits, and you realize that it was the voice actors. It was yeah. the actual voice actors who played these characters. He's playing the guitar. She's fucking singing. And it's this... Well, will the circle be unbroken? But it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's a spiritual. However, the, the, the themes combine with the game elegantly. Oh, yes. Yeah. I think that kind of... It almost sums up the game in a way. Just this moment that comes that you don't expect that is... Well, the game's about breaking the circle, technically. Yeah, a little to. bit. I mean, it's and you do sort of. I think actually, I don't know if you do now anymore after seeing the thing after the credits. I don't know if you do actually break it. Well, you do because again, that's after you would have gone to get Elizabeth. Yeah, uh, Tony, what were, what were your vigors that you used most of all? Like uh, Brandon, that, that that flaming bird thing—that's really cool. Well, why the fuck would I like fire and I like birds? I, I, I know. Why well, wouldn't well, I do that? Thing. That made me so I happy. Got two words for you. Yes. Bucking Bronco. Me too. I never used it. Here's the, How did you never use Bucking? It's the most I useful fucking in the I, game. You know, I, felt, I felt bad about it, but like I didn't use half as many vigors as I would have wanted to because there, there were some really cool ones. But my God, the simplicity and ease of using Bucking Bronco and I can't remember the other one's name. It's like the last one you get, the one where you absorb the uh, bullets. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I, I honestly Shield, never used the, that one. I mean, one of my favorite one. things, especially once, I mean, the portion of the game that we touched on a little bit when you're sitting there defending the Zeppelin. Yeah. Every once in a while, it'd be like, Pockets. It's like pfft, whatever. Zip over to him. Go ahead. Do a little. Bucking I never Bronco, use that. Shoot him I, off the side of the ship. Maybe that would have helped. Well, me. Bucking Bronco is great, you know. And because if you upgrade, they knock people off. It, yeah, well, kind of. Because if you upgrade it all the way, they're floating. It has a proximity effect, so anybody who gets in that area starts floating. See, and then you hit them, and they fly. Did you combine it with anything? Because it does have a few combinations. I don't know what they are. I, I've thing, combined, I, no, there's one. There's one combines, I think where you can charge at them. Yeah, no, you do that plus charge. That's one of the ones. But <laughs> my favorite thing to do because I mean you run into these armored enemies later on, and it's just like, oh god, these guys are such a pain in the ass. Wait a minute. Lift them up into the air. Shove them over the side of are the ship. Are you serious? That's all you did? Yep. I still shot them with a shotgun, but because the, the crows stun everyone, and they heat seek everything, like, mm-hmm. basically, and they just all, like, trying to fight them off. And, you know, I couldn't... I didn't realize you could just throw guys off. I really love The it. octopus the, one's the, cool. Uh, if you upgrade it, you get, like, eight arms. Yeah. You can grab, like, several uh, people. The, I never did that. The one where you absorb um, the, the kinetic energy of stuff, it's great, because say the Patriots are coming at you with their chain guns, I just right? I used a lot of salt. Just upgrade. It doesn't matter. It's so good. People fire at you. Nothing touches you. It hovers in front of you in a bullet storm, and you chuck it back at them, and they basically die immediately. I wonder what you can combine that one with. I shot out the crows, and then I run up to each guy and shoot him with the shotgun. But I upgraded the crows so that every time someone dies when there's crows on them, it leaves a trap with more crows. Yeah. So there's just more and more and more, and they don't go away ever. They're just still there. I always wanted to do that one, but then I never used the crows enough to actually warrant spending the money on. I couldn't really turn expensive. down using birds. And can so. we just talk for a minute that using the sky hook? To kill enemies is one of the greatest. It's really things. powerful. I mean, until you get to the armored guys, but it. Kills but even a lot then, really fast. I mean, I, I take it you did the actual executions when I used it. Yeah, I love those executions because I just like when you grody. throw them like a hundred feet. No, that's cool. But I like the one where you're sitting there and you get it lodged in his head, and then it grinds a little bit more, and then 
pop. See, he's just got anger problems. It's really unnecessary. He's already <laughs> dead. You really don't need to waste time doing that when there's a bunch of guys shooting at you. I think mm-hmm. it's. And I don't think he's trying to. I think it's just stuck. I think the developers actually said that like everyone was complaining about the political ramifications of the game. Like, why no one's complaining about that? You're chopping people's faces off. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we've talked more than enough about Bioshock. We hope you enjoyed it. If, if you want to share any of your experiences or tell us which things you use most, which weapons and magics, etc., just uh, hit us up on the Nerdy Show forum. Start a Bioshock thread. Why the hell not? Let's have a party. So Taking This Out is a track that we could only play following Bioshock closers. It's an Adam Warrock song called Columbia. So fucking good. And uh, it's only for people who finished the game. He said, So I played and finished Bioshock Infinite last week. To add to the mountains of praise the game has already received, I think it was probably one of the most satisfying journeys I've taken in a video game in as long as I can remember. Everything from the story to the gameplay to the environment was, for me, pretty close to perfect. It was the first game in a while that I was sad that it was over, rather than just feeling accomplished, or God forbid, glad it was over. I wanted to make a song to commemorate that experience. So kudos to Irrational Games for an amazing game that lived up to, and in my opinion, completely beat the hype. If you want to talk spoilers, hit me up on email. Doug is not here. Doug is gone. We, we, we kicked him out, so... Um, Doug was never here. Doug's in an alternate dimension somewhere. We, we opened a tear and said goodbye to Doug. <laughs> we sent him in. <laughs> Constants and variables. So, uh, uh, bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Doug. Bye, I'm Tony. Bye, I'm Brandon. That wasn't Doug. It's so fun. Because I broke through the defenses so easily And never mind the nose 
Please. Never mind my story, cause I'm here to get you out. Parlez-vous français, and yes, that's how. Yo, plan to fly away, and if we hide away long enough, then maybe you and I can see a brighter day. They say the city that never sleeps is on fire in 99, but right here in Colombia, the weather is fine. Welcome to Colombia, high in the sky, where history's kind of different here. So listen here, silver eagles in my pockets and a gun in my side. Grab your sky hooks, get ready to fly. Welcome to Colombia, high in the sky, where history's kind of different here. So listen here, silver eagles in my pockets and a gun in my side. Touch the infinite, so say your goodbyes. for listening to Nerdy Show. Nerdy Show is made possible by A Comic Shop, Nerdapalooza, and the generous support of listeners like you. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend, rating and reviewing us on iTunes, or making a contribution in our monthly support drives. Any size contribution gets you exclusive Nerdy Show voxophones and pictograms. Just go to nerdyshow.com support to chip in. For more episodes of Nerdy Show, as well as other fine programs, community forums, kinetoscopes, articles, and more, head over to nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to all Nerdy Show Network podcasts via the iTunes Store. And for the latest news, follow us on all your favorite social networks. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.